Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Friday edition it's of the, the Ride Home. It's the best edition. It truly is. And we're excited that you're with us today. Even more excited for what's going to happen on Sunday. Right. Okay. This is the time when I usually do the top four at four. Yeah. But we found something that was way more fun. Oh, we than did. The top four. Because if you can't talk Steelers on this day, the Friday before the a Steeler playoff game, when can you talk sports? You got that right. Craig Wolfley is with us. Craig, how are you? I'm doing just fantabulous. How are you good folks doing? Okay, we're good. I'm a little tense. I got to be honest with you because um, this is when it emotionally starts hitting me and I start feeling like I can't eat until the game. I got you. But in the mighty words of the great Mike Merriweather, who I played with back in the day, in the 80s, okay, Mike would come by on game day and go, don't get scared now. All right? Don't get scared now. So don't you get scared, girl. You eat your wings or whatever you got to eat. You're, you're, you know, anything that uh, comes to mind. I know there's a little bit of a – they've got a little bit of a band going on Buffalo Wings, so right. maybe you want to support that. But the fact is, don't get scared now. Very good. Okay. So, Wolf, you yourself – from Buffalo, New York. I mean, talk about that. Are you going to drive by your house to, to take a quick look? You know what? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, they sold, my, my family sold that house a long time ago that I grew up in. But you know what? 2.4 miles from that stadium, Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. It's a great place to come from. Wow. Enjoyed it thoroughly. But, you know, when I, I came here to Pittsburgh, that became my home. And so, I, yeah, I was a Buffalonian, but I'm a Pittsburgher now. Okay. You Did you grow up as a Bills fan? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Matter of fact, I thought they were going to sign me as a free agent. Is that right? Um, until, yeah, but the Steelers drafted me, which was amazing because after I bloodied Chuck's nose uh, and lip in a workout <laughs> accidentally, um, I figured I was, you know, not going to be kiboshed by the Steelers. Wait, so, is, wait, is um, that true? Oh, yeah, yeah. He worked me out, and he was actually rushing the passer, like – playing a defensive lineman rushing me up at Syracuse, New York, where I was going to school at the time. He came to work out, and he worked me out personally. That's the way Chuck was. Chuck was a hands-on guy. Yeah, and so he kept telling me he's trying to teach me how to punch correctly, which was a new technique back then. And uh, so I um, was doing it, and not to his satisfaction, he finally looked at me and said, I need to know that you're getting this, Craig. Now, I want you to punch me. So he lined up and he came and I punched him and he was bleeding from the nose. I'm thinking, Dad Zooks, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I just whacked it, this guy right in the schnozola, right? And caused blood. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you can write off Steelers. But no, they, they ended up drafting That's me. That's incredible. Excellent. That's an incredible story. Good. A little bit of blood goes a long way, Craig, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but forget about looking back. we got to look ahead. Yeah. Okay, so Sunday's yep. game. Um, Josh Allen is a tough, uh, it's a hill to climb, right? But the weather is going to cooperate. Well, in, in some ways, yes. Here's the thing that's, that's interesting. There's a, if you look at Josh Allen, he is he's accounted for 86% of the touchdowns that the Bills have scored. Wow. He's thrown 29 TD passes. He's rushed for 15. Wow. This guy is offense personified. Great player. Great, great player. But the fact is, he's also got some Achilles heels. He's thrown 18 interceptions, mm-hmm. and he's fumbled the ball, too. So you've got to pressure him. You've got to get after him, and you've got to hope that he makes one of those mistakes, which he's made over the last three weeks 
Um, if you compare uh, Mason's numbers to Josh's numbers, the one thing that stands out, Mason hasn't thrown any interceptions over the last three weeks. Uh, Josh Allen's thrown four interceptions over the last three weeks. So, having said all that, it's about keying on Josh Allen. You've got to make him make a mistake. Good. But at the same time, we are greatly going to miss T.J. Watt, aren't mm, we? Terrible timing. Oh, yes, that's, there's no doubt about it. I, I looked at that. I kept going, now what are you going to do to be able to counteract with no T.J. Watt? You know, and, and I, I looked and I happened to be on the, what used to be Twitter or X or whatever they call that thing now. And there's this great big meme of J.J. Watt in T.J.'s <laughs> uniform. I'm like, oh, that's it. Sign him. Sign him. Cower will let him off the pregame show. Let him come out and play. Right? Oh, for cry- I mean, does he have priorities or not? What the heck? <laughs> for goodness sake. We're talking to Craig Wolfley, former NFL offensive lineman, 10 seasons for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Craig, along with uh, Bill Hillgrove and Max Starks, uh, is an in-game commentator for the Pittsburgh Steeler Radio Network. We're going to hear them live on the air on uh, Sunday. The game starts at 1 p.m. in Orchard Park. So, uh, Craig, talk to me about um, Mika Fitzpatrick. Is he back? As far as I know, he's practiced. He's back. I think he's going to be in the lineup. We hope, certainly, he's going to be in back in the lineup along with uh, uh, DeMonte Casey. Yeah. So that would be great to have those two back-end guys there. Don't know what that'll mean for Patrick Peterson, whether they move him back to the slot corner or whatever, or he does some uh, gets involved in some packages from the safety position. We also have Eric Rowe, who also has really done a nice job filling in, coming in with uh, probably what four or five weeks being here in Pittsburgh, and he's done a good job. So I'm, I'm excited about the fact that Mink is back and Demonte's back. I'm less excited about the fact that TJ is yeah. is out. Mm-hmm. Okay, Craig, so uh, you just said that uh, you and your the rest of your broadcast team are headed into Buffalo tomorrow, Saturday. What about the uh, the Steelers themselves? Uh, are they there already, or do they go up Saturday too? No, we're, we fly with the team. And it, don't let's not forget the great Missy Matthews as part oh, of this yeah. broadcast team. I forgot about yeah. Missy. Forgive me. Yeah. Oh, yes, indeed, man. She's the smartest of all of us, for crying out loud. And she keeps all you guys in line. <laughs> she sure does. Which oh, is, yeah. I, I can only imagine yeah. what kind of job that is. Very nice. Hey, Greg. Yeah, she's the broadcast mom. There you go. We're going to step away, but we're going to come back during the top of the 5 o'clock hour to continue our conversation with you. Maybe you'd make a prediction for us? I'm really bad at predictions. <laughs> I know. That's why they're so excellent. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait. That's good. Anyway, stay close. We'll be back with Craig Wolfley at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Thanks for being along. It's today's Ride Home. I've been in the church a long time, as I was just talking about, and we just haven't talked a lot about Jesus coming back. I mean, it's something that we, that I would say that every church I grew up in believes, um, but not something that we talk about often, not something I think that figures into personal discipleship very much. Um, and so that's why I was so excited to hear about this new book called Bright Hope for Tomorrow, how anticipating Jesus' return gives us strength for today. And I'm happy to welcome Chris Davis to the show for the first time. Chris, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Welcome in. What's your church experience? Was it like that? You know, I I grew up in a church where we actually studied Revelation and other oh, yeah. end times texts from a very specific perspective. Okay. And 
but it was a lot more about, ooh, could could this event in Russia yes, or Iran right. or something else Got it. signal the end of you know the end of times, the return of Jesus, and so that that was more the milieu I, I came up in. Right. Okay. Yeah. I I know exactly what milieu you're talking about. Um, but also that doesn't lead much into personal discipleship, right? No, no. And that's the thing. It's like, this is all very fascinating, right? It's very interesting. But what does it actually do to make me more like Jesus or to give me perseverance through difficulties or, or you know, the, to, to get me more focused on ministry? What what is this chart that I'm looking at of this guy laying sideways in the 70 weeks of Daniel? What is that supposed to actually do to to help me uh, move forward in my Christian faith? Right. Okay. so something changed for you when you pulled out some of your kids like sketch paper and you started like what were you like drawing pictures, doodling stuff like what were you? Uh, Yeah. What was the mental process there? No. Yeah, I was reading the, the New Testament. For, for just preaching. I've been a pastor since 2005, and I was preaching through a number of texts about uh, spiritual growth and how we grow in our faith. And I started seeing these references to the Lord's return all over the place. And I was like, this is too much for me to hold in my head right now. I've got to like get this all down somewhere. So I ran it. I had a home. This is in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and I ran into the house at a home office and um, and I ran over to my kid's easel and pulled out a whole roll of art paper and tore it off. And my wife was like, what are you doing? And I said, just give me a second. And I started with a pencil in my hand, started writing down every reference to Jesus's return I could find in the specifically in the New Testament letters. Mm-hmm. I knew about the Mount Olivet Discourse in, you know, in the Gospels and the book of Revelation. But what were the apostles writing to the church to say, here's how anticipating Jesus return is supposed to change you now? today. Mm. And as I wrote all those references down, and I'm so sorry, I'm not prepared. I actually have it in the, uh, in the next office over, but I, I could roll it out and yeah. show you. But as, next time. As I, as I, next time, that's right. As I started writing these down, it was overwhelming. And I felt like, you know, that gif where uh, Charlie Day is like, has the cork board and sure, all the, different, of course. The, the yarn. That's what I felt like. I was, I, I ran into the house like a couple of days later after writing all this down by hand. And I said to my wife, it's everywhere and no one's <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> or, and more so, it was like, it's everywhere. And all they're talking about is, ooh, what does this end time event mean for this prophecy? And what? And I'm like, that's not what the apostles were talking about. They expected the return of Jesus to fuel their faith mm. and their endurance and their perseverance and their holiness, all these things. And, and this is not what people are talking about. So that was eight years ago, and that started my study on this on this topic. Wow. Okay, so you're holding the book in your hand. For those of you watching on Zoom, check it out. Bright Hope for Tomorrow is the new book by Chris. Look at that, how anticipating Jesus' return gives strength for today. Um, okay, Chris, so, uh, so how does it? I mean, how does it give us strength for today? Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, very simple. I can tell you in about eight minutes. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So one thing it does is it gives us um, something to hope for that's better than the the things that we long for in this age. You know, it's the C.S. Lewis quote about we're like kids 
making mud pies, mud pies in slums. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that quote changed my life in high school. I was like, oh, the Christian faith is actually supposed to uh, propel us forward, not just... Um, you know, uh, not just like hold us down in our passions. And so one thing it gives us when, when we feel tempted towards the things of this age, um, the, the, the allurements of money, sex, and power, it gives us a broader, a longer vision of what all those things are for. Um, mm-hmm. It transforms us through giving us a vision for ministry. One As a pastor, one of my favorite parts of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and the Philippians and the Corinthians is how he saw the uh, the return of Jesus as something that would uh, give him clarity. And I, I, I say this in the mm. book. I say, I, I imagine this moment where Paul is standing before Jesus and he's showing him the Thessalonians and he's saying, Jesus, I did what you told me to do. Huh. You wow. know, on the road to Damascus, you told me mm. to be a witness to your gospel, of your gospel to the Gentiles and to kings and to the house of Israel. And and I did because he, mm. te- he says to the Thessalonians, he's been kicked out of Thessalonica. And he says to the Thessalonians, uh, you are my, he says, what is my crown of boasting before the Lord at his return? Is it not you? And so he he imagines this moment where he will boast to Jesus of the faith of those he had invested mm. in his life and the gospel. Mm. And so it gives so much clarity to the look, I'm a pastor that ministry can be frustrating. Yeah. It can be overwhelming. There can be so much that happens that gets us down and and to have that long view that gives us the ability to have long strides toward that day. Yeah, that is really, really good. I love that. Chris Davis is with me. Um, Bright Hope for Tomorrow is the new book, How Anticipating Jesus' Return Gives Us Strength for Today. Um, okay, so talk about what else. You had a, you had a list of several things, and I interrupted you in the middle. No, that's great. So another thing we talk about is afflictions, the afflictions we go through. So there's there are issues of injustice. If you read James chapter 5... He addresses an issue very similar to what we had in the American South in the sharecropper situation following uh, the Civil War, where you had uh, sharecroppers whose wages were being kept by the landowners simply because the landowners had the power to do that. Mm-hmm. James is addressing a very similar situation in uh, in early uh, the early church, and he uses the coming of the Lord as that means by which they can say justice is coming. Mm -hmm. So I develop in the last chapter, I develop this idea of prophetic patience, that this idea that you can, you can be patient because the judge is coming. coming. The judge is standing at the door. And yet that's not just like roll over and play dead, be a doormat, let people take your money and your stuff. James models a prophetic word. He mocks those who are abusing and exploiting the weak and the poor. And he says, actually, your, you know, quote unquote, riches that you're gaining with all this, it's going to turn to dust. It's going to be worthless very, very soon. And so James models for us. Here's what it it looks like to call out injustice now and, and speak truth to power now in a way that gives us strength to look towards mm-hmm. the day of the Lord 
and and be patient to know he will make it right. Hmm. So in all these things, it kind of reorders our loves almost. It does. Knowing what's coming. Yeah. In fact, there's so in the book, I work through. Um, just some introductory, like the the biblical theology, the whole story of the day of the Lord and the Lord's appearings throughout the Bible. And then in the second part, I walk through these particular images of Jesus as warrior king, bridegroom, judge, and resurrecting one. And the third part, see, there wasn't a third part at first. I just jumped straight to the application about purifying ourselves and doing the master's work and persevering through afflictions. But honestly, I found myself not really changed by this. Mm. Like it was nice theoretically, but I didn't find myself truly motivated and like in this ingrained in my life. So I started asking this question. So where are these where what are some rhythms that can be incorporated into my life to keep me aware that the Lord is coming back? And if you read the New Testament, it turns out that that there's a lot about how gathering, like encourage one another and all the more as you see the day mm-hmm. drawing near, and the way we gather together and take the Lord's Supper, proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Um, fasting, Jesus said the bridegroom is with them. They shouldn't fast now, but when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. So how we fast in such a way that leans into Jesus's coming. But the third one that I I develop is that of rest, of taking Sabbath rest. And part of it is disengaging from the news, disengaging from our devices, disengaging from our ruling over the world and, and making something of the world to pause for that one day in seven, like God did on the creation week, to remember God is in control. And when Jesus comes back, Jesus will redeem power that we have messed up and misused. Jesus will redeem delight, again, which we have skewed with our sin and with Satan's temptations. And Jesus will redeem everything, giving us the ability to step back for a day a week and just rest Mm -hmm. and say, Jesus, I'm going to practice. And, And I know we're almost out of time, but let me say this. My dad passed away four years ago. But just about six months before he passed away, he was telling my wife, you know, when I practice Sabbath once a week, it's like practicing for heaven, practicing for eternity. And that was one of the last conversations we like really held on to after he passed away to think, you know, we do one day in seven, we can, it's not pretending we can practice. Like what if Jesus were reigning right now in his fullness and, and we could just let go and let him be the boss and 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 not have to change the world mm-hmm. because he's going to change the world. And so that's honestly when I when I just shut off from my day of Sabbath each week, that teaching about what we can hope in, what Jesus will redeem when he comes back, redeeming work, redeeming power, redeeming uh, delight, it it works into my life. Okay, I can practice that now so that each week I can get a little more used to what it will be like when Jesus returns. Man, I love that. Bright Hope for Tomorrow is the new book, How Anticipating Jesus' Return Gives Us Strength for Today. Once again, it is time for this... Or that. 
I've got a list of this or that. I've got a list of this or that. And so we go at it. Kath, here's my list. Now, with the Steelers, of course, mm-hmm. I make a nod to that. Do you? It's a mixed bag, though. Okay. All right. Travis Kelsey? Yes. Taylor Swift? Oh, my gosh. Travis Kelsey. Thank mm-hmm. you for asking. JoJo Starbuck, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw. Oh my gosh, that's really funny. Uh, I don't. I, JoJo, she was a ice skater, yes, right? She was. Yeah, still uh, is. Is she? I learned about her today. Did you? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna pick JoJo. Terry kind of gets on my nerves. Yeah. I have to be honest with I you. I agree. I yeah. think so too. Wings, chili. Oh, wings. No, wait. Mm. I might change my mind. Chili. Guac, salsa. Guac. That was easier. T.J. Watt, Jack Lambert. Sean. This or that? For goodness sake. I mean, I have to. I have to pick Lambert. I have to. Okay. Because he's so grumpy and awesome. You know, you can look at his shoe at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, that's he, so cool. He, he cut. He cut it out himself. With a toe. Yeah, the Turf toe. toe. Uh huh. Belichick, Brady. Oh. Well, yeah, I think you have to pick Brady. Bradshaw. Noel. I think you have to pick Noel. Tomlin. Roethlisberger. Oh, boy. I think you have to go with Ben. I'm not consistent. I realize that. Three Rivers. Accusure. Oh, Three Rivers. Bill Hillgrove. Myron Cope. Uh, Myron. Sunday playoff party. Watching alone. Um, I'm good with either one. I'm actually, I think I would actually go with the playoff party. I don't like to watch football alone, particularly. The chief. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I mean, if I say the chief, that I'm just really idiotic. So I think I have to say Abe. <laughs> My wife was like, wait, don't say that. Steelers point, 10 point underdogs. Yeah. Over, under. Under. Under, right. under, under, under. I feel good about that. All right, funny you should say that, John, because yes. I have for you, I have prepared the Steelers are in the playoffs edition of this. All one. right, very good. Thank you. I'll begin with something you've already said right. Three Rivers or Acreshore? Three Rivers. Terrible towel or the big Heinz ketchup bottle? Oh, come on. Terrible towel. Bradshaw to Swan or Roethlisberger to San Antonio? Oh, boy. Those are both good memories. Mm, they really are. Yeah. Because my little kids were there. Roethlisberger to San Antonio. That was so great. Oh, that wasn't was incredible. It? Wasn't that incredible? Watch the game live or watch it at a time of your choosing? No, watch it live okay, with the rest whatever, of Steeler Nation. Whatever. Road trip to Buffalo for the game, John, or watch from the comfort of your sofa? You know, it'd be fun to be in Buffalo, but I'm happy to be home. Are you choosing that? I'm choosing home. Chips and dip or soft pretzels for snacking? Chips and dip. Chips and dip or barbecued Fritos and dip? Oh, <laughs> barbecued Fritos and dip. Coke out of a can or lemon-lime San Pellegrino for drinking? Oh, lemon-lime San Pellegrino. Yeah, I know, oh, yeah. that stuff is That's, so delicious. Oh, Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett? Mason Rudolph. Mike Tomlin or Chuck Knoll? Chuck Knoll. Antonio Brown or Martavis Bryant? Both uh, sad stories. 
A, B. Franco or the bus? Franco. The old era when you didn't hear much or know much about the players, or the social media era where you can hear what a player thinks any moment of any day? The old era. Who wants Give to know? Give me the know? mystery. For good. Wild card weekend or AFC-NFC championship weekend? AFC-NFC championship. Wear a Steeler jersey or wear a regular shirt to watch Sunday's game? <laughs> wear a Steeler jersey. Really? Yeah. Wear a Steeler jersey or eat carrots? <laughs> Wear a Steeler jersey. <laughs> You're lying. You're lying. No. What happens no. when he lies, Lexi? No, no. What, happens? what happens when he lies? Wear a Steeler jersey yeah. or eat peas? <laughs> Wear a Steeler jersey. Wear a Steeler jersey or eat split pea soup? Oh. Wear a Steeler jersey. <laughs> uh, wear, wear a Steeler jersey or argue with... Difficult neighbors. Uh, wear a Steeler jersey. <laughs> wear a Steeler jersey, John, or appendicitis. Wear a Steeler jersey. Last question for you today, John. Yeah. Do you see that there's a theme here? <laughs> I do. I do you get. see? Is it causing you to rethink uh, your yes, choice is, to never wear a Steeler yes, jersey? It is. Are you feeling badly about yourself Very. in a public setting? Yes. Wear a Steeler jersey, John, or be covered in boils. <laughs> Wear a Steeler jersey. <laughs> John, a new survey conducted by Ford Motor Company found something really interesting about work-life balance and what people are willing to give up to get it. Hmm. So, let's... Wait, before, this is a, a new age. If you would have said work-life balance... 15 years ago, Mm-mm. people would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? If you would have said that to our fathers. Oh, my gosh. My but- father, your fa- <laughs> work-life balance. My dad worked three jobs. Right, right. Work-life balance. I mean, that that would have been derided in every possible way by our by our parents. Work-life balance. Not just our fathers, but our mothers. Too. Yes. I've got my, my mother. I mean, good. Just crushing grief. it. There okay. was no balance. Was this talked about, do you think, before... I mean, I, I know the term was coined, but before COVID? I don't think Pro- so. I think it was. And I think, like all things, COVID you know, put a little hyper space onto it. Right, made it come a lot faster. Okay. Yeah, I think people have been talking about work-life balance because I think for a long time people looked at the Europeans and said, "Yes, you're well, right. You're right. The Europeans, that's what right. they're doing here." Yeah, and of course you're right. The term work-life balance, as I said, was already in use, but the the insistence on it is different now. It felt like a pipe dream, like that was never going to come to the fore. But apparently it has come. Or something socialists do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this new survey I talked about, and I'm reading here from uh, the Detroit Free Press, found that 52% of employed people globally, so not just in the U.S., Mm -hmm. would be willing to take a 20% pay cut for better work-life balance. 20% of your paycheck? 20% for better work-life balance. So what does that even look like? I mean, what is like optimal work-life balance? Do they even talk about that? Well, I mean, that's something that the worker has to determine. I mean, there's no def- work-life balance for you is probably going to look different than me and different to Lexi. 
Right. I think everybody's going to look at it differently. Uh, Jen Brace, who's the chief futurist at Ford, what? who coordinated the 2024 trend report and its findings, said this survey results shocked us. I'll be honest. A 20% pay cut is a big deal, she said. I didn't think we'd get the level of response in terms of number of people. 52% is huge. If you look generationally, and if you look at the U.S. in particular, you saw our younger generations being even more willing to give up money for a better quality of life. Really? Really? Yeah. So in the U.S., the response is by age, willing to take that 20% pay cut. Yeah. Um, Gen Z, 56%. Millennials, 60%. Gen Xers, 43%. Baby boomers, 33%. So the older people are not willing to do it. The younger people are. Interesting. Okay, wait. Just go back there because I can imagine Henry Ford in his Model T thinking about the job title of the chief futurist. I know. What is that? I have no idea. I'm a chief futurist? Yes, that's her. uh, Jen Brace is her name. I'd like to be the assistant to the assistant (laughs) to chief futurist. To the chief futurist. Right, right. Okay, now here's another thing, though, that's interesting about the survey is that um, I mentioned it was not U.S. specific. Um, so there were, these were online interviews. People were 18 years and older from these countries. Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Italy, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Spain, Thailand, the UAE, the U.K., and the U.S., so that's a real mixed that's bag. That's a real mix. 77% of the people who responded prioritized a balanced life over advancement at work. 77%. Okay, so you would think that the way that the Germans or the Chinese look at work life as opposed to the Italians or, you know, someone from South America, totally different mindsets. Yeah, except that if you balance them all together, 77% of them said that they would like a balanced life over advancement at work. I think that in that regard, COVID was a global reset. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Because COVID was the great equalizer. For, between all these places. Right? For the most part, a lot of people were home if, you, if your job could afford you that luxury. But what about those people who continued to work? I mean, you know, first responders Teachers, and retail nurses. and all that. Yeah, all those people. They, don't, they didn't have work-life okay. balance. No, they didn't. But what's interesting, I think, in a lot of those occupations is people have left them. Yeah. Been right. Done. There's a shortage of nurses. Yep. There's a shortage of teachers. Retail. There's a shortage of people working retail, working restaurants, doctors, right. just got therapists burned out. just got burned it's out. Too much to bear. Right. So I think that kind of even plays that even gives us more evidence to support this. Right. So what? So in, like in a perfect world, I mean, you can't speak. What would a, a good work life balance look like for you? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would think I'm guessing that for a lot of people, it's being able to work from home a portion of the time. See, to me, is working from home like does that include like a lot of downtime? Right. Well. Is that is that what that I mean, is? There's a, there's downtime at, at when you're at the office too, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you know, productive a hundred percent of the day, no. right? But it's I don't know. I, I mean, we were talking the other day about that uh, people uh, with plantar fi- fasciitis, fasci- right? 
that's happened since people have been working from home because they're walking around without their shoes on on hardwood mm-hmm. floors. Right. I mean, that kind of tells you something. It's kind of, I don't know, it just feels like people are hanging. I feel like working from home is always is preferred by all of us without realizing that it's hurting us. But, you know, we work from home. I know. That's what I mean. I feel like you and I have a pretty good view on that because right. we've done it. We've done both things. Right. So working from home was fine for a while until it wasn't. Yes. And then we dragged and, our feet. Okay, but here's the thing. When we, first of all, we did not want to come back. No. We did not want to come back because we'd gotten used to how to do it at home. Yeah. It wasn't until we got back we realized how good it was for us. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. If you would have asked us if we were still working from home, we'd say, yeah, we need to keep working from home because you don't realize how it's harming your ability to interact with people, how you're not challenged by being in the same space as other people. It's just not, I don't think it's as good for people to work at home as it is to work in an office. Okay. So a couple things. Okay. So that's just my opinion. Maybe the, the work life balance is three days in the office, two days at home. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's the balance people are looking for, well, which I get. Well, like today on a Friday uh, here at uh, on Park at Parkway Center, there are very few cars out there. Monday and Friday, there's no traffic. Right. Hardly anybody works right. here on Friday. On the flip side of that, I was talking to a young man at church after service on last Sunday. And this is a guy who works full time at home. Now, All the time. All the time. Now, he's probably 25 or 26. Right out of college, uh, he was forced into the office in a real job, but then the pandemic came, and then they all went home. This guy could not be more together. I mean, his interaction with me was, was, great. A, was excellent in every conceivable way. And this is a guy who I knew, I've known for a long time and wouldn't think necessarily he would be tracking along with that. But maybe it was just a little bit of experience and maturity. Yeah, right. I don't know. I guess different strokes, right? Yeah. And I guess depending on your job, a lot of you, I mean, some people are going to have less interaction with others from home sure. and some are going to have more. So all I know is that I would, I was voting for stay at home and I just realized once I got here, it was just me better. Too. It was better for me to be here. I don't want to be on a Zoom call. I don't want, I'm so sick of screens. I know it. But if that's what work, that's what working from home is, right? You're doing teams, you're doing meetings all the time. Right. Uh, it lacks collaboration. You know, I was looking at a, at design trends for 2024 because I spent some of my life in the interior design field. And uh, the number one trend for 2024 is getting rid of open spaces. Oh, really? So, like, you know, the open space design trend of opening up your kitchen to your dining room and opening up your dining room to your living room. Getting rid of that. What? Because so many people are working from home, they want a door Uh so that they can close that off. office space. Right. Right. And Open floor concept. Right. And now it's open floor concept is... Gone by the wayside. And now we need to find a way to make cozy spaces that are comfortable for people again. Isn't that funny? I like it. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, because there's still have to be said for open floor, right? You're hanging out, but I yeah, need my I think, own private space too. I, I just think it, it's just, it's interesting how, again, we've been changed forever by the COVID era. Right. We thought, I thought that our biggest challenge was going to be avoiding the illness 
And now I think our biggest challenge is trying to come back from the era mm-hmm. and the things that it did to us. Right. Now, work-life balance for a trucker, a fireman, a police officer. A teacher. That doesn't exist. You're still called to be there. Right, a nurse. Those professions, moving forward, will they suffer? Yes, because they're already losing people. People are, I'm not going to do that. Why do I I want to show up five days a week or whatever and do that? Right. I want more. Work-life balance. Well, for this weekend's opening round of the AFC playoff game, the Steelers are having to deal with a player who's often described as dynamic. That would be mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. But now the weather in Buffalo is also being described as dynamic. In either case, it doesn't sound great, does it? According to WIVB-TV, a dynamic system is approaching Buffalo starting today into Saturday through Sunday. A rain-snow mix Friday late evening transitions to all rain as temperatures warm up, said meteorologist Nick Guzzo on the station's website. He says this will not last long, though as temperatures drop throughout the day Saturday, allowing a transition from rain to heavy snow on Sunday. But the wind appears to be the real factor. Guzzo says that the temperatures at kickoff 1 p.m. on Sunday, the high is 24. Oh, man, with the wind? Also projecting wind gusts as high as 50 miles per (laughs) hour. Oh, that's awful. uh, So you're not going to be able to throw the ball. uh, They say this. They don't care how dynamic uh, Josh Allen's arm is. Even he is going to have trouble with that, let alone Mason Rudolph and or Kenny Pickett. That's to say nothing for the punters and the kickers in the game as well. Oh, my gosh. The wind chill could create a feels-like temperature of zero. I'm happy to be on the couch. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Listen, (laughs) my mom who uh, passed away a couple years ago. There is nothing she enjoyed more than watching a snowy football game. (laughs) I mean, from the time I was born, if there was a snowy football game, she would be all, come down here! It's so fabulous! I mean, she loved it. So... Let's hope it is. For me, it was always worrisome, especially if it's the Steelers. You're worried about fumbles. Sure. You're worried about interceptions. You're worried about, you know, kicks that look good and then get blown off course and whatever. But she just thought it was hilarious. It is hilarious. You know, they're out there with snowblowers uncovering the fields. Right, so you can see right, the hashtags right. and things like we that. We haven't seen a single game like that this season yet, have Ooh, we? Snow. I haven't seen a snowy game. Snow? Snow in football, it feels like a thing of the past, doesn't it? I look forward to it. I'm super excited by it. I hope it does snow heavy. Okay. Will you wear... Well, well, I can't believe I was going to ask that question. Now, wait a second. Now, you've been bullying me into this all week long. Yeah, I haven't been bullying you. I've been trying to bring it up (laughs) at exclusively appropriate times that, again, I'm wearing a Steeler jersey and you're not. I'm not. I mean, it's even Friday for crying out loud. It's like... so. My, I'm wondering if I'm going to wear Steeler gear to church on Sunday. Oh, I see those. We we have people in our congregation who do that every Sunday. And fine. Does that bother you? Not in the least. Okay, that's their thing. 
It's not me. I'm not looking down my nose at them. Okay. But, you know, I want to, you know, yeah, go go steal a nation. I got no problem with that. Why? Do you I've like, got crit- I've received criticism about that. You have, yes. Well, you're a worship leader. Yeah. So you don't think I should? No, it's fine. I don't think so. My here's my worry: the extra pressure on all pastors to finish up. Right. Because the game starts at one. It's not so, like we have the four o'clock start. Well, some app, you know, some people have services at nine or ten. Now, when you get to the eleven o'clock, that's when things get problematic. Right, things are getting dicey there. Heck yeah, you are, especially if you want to eat something. So you know, you have to feel but I mean, the pastors they're preaching God's word, so they're not. It's complex. <laughs> and they're trying not to worry about their congregation's anxiety. Right. At the same time, though, I they're mean, fans. yeah. Uh, well, and you, as a speaker, you always have to be sensitive to your audience. Sure. And so you can't assume that Sunday morning is happening in a vacuum. How okay? This is the time for the Steeler picks, right? Okay. This is the time, and. I'm going to ask you. Okay. Okay, Steeler Bills, 1 p.m. Yep. Sunday. Terrible weather, cold. Yep. Second, third string quarterback starting mm-hmm. for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen, one of the best players in the current NFL. Yep. And Steelers are playing away. Mm hmm. You want my pick? Yeah. Steelers. Okay. Steelers 24. Uh huh. Bills 21. Okay. Mm hmm. All right. Um, I also you pick, am going to pick the Steelers. Yes, of course you I are. I am. I'm yes. going to pick the Steelers, but it's going to be 13-10. 13-10. Mm-hmm. All right, a little tighter. 13-10. Okay, a little, a little tighter there. Okay. All right? All right. So now now Lexi isn't in the uh, studio. No, yet. no. Is she coming just, back here in? Here she is. Yeah. She, okay. Lex, we're, we're doing Steeler picks here. We're picking. Uh, I just said I'm choosing the Steelers to win 24-21. Kath is also picking the Steelers to win. 13-10. 13-10. Decidedly a much lower score. And you? Are you picking Bills or, or, or Steelers? Oh, I got to pick the Steelers. Thank, Thank you. you. And give me a score, my friend. Oh, I have no clue. Come well, on. Think about it, my friend. Oh. This is what you're hearing. <laughs> I mean, Somebody wins a I prize. Mean, get it, I mean, getting us oh. on the air and managing the show is one thing, but this is the main reason right. why. That's why you're here. We've called on you. Probably, what, 1321? Okay. Steelers 21, Bills 13. 13. Okay. I'm looking for a little higher score there, even though I know okay. it's kind of dicey. All right? Yeah. Because there's a dynamic thing going on. Dynamic weather, that's what they're calling it, right? Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of the Friday edition of The Ride Home. Mm-hmm. We're excited, of course, uh, We're making excited. our plans. we got our snacks in line, right? Uh, my snacks have not yet been purchased. How because I'm trying to make some last-minute decisions. Are you doing buffalo wings? Uh, no. Okay. Just Come on, I have standards. All right. Mojo has to be carried forward. <laughs> Listen, we got a special guest who joined us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Craig Wolfley is back with us, former Steeler great, now Steeler broadcaster. Craig, welcome back in. 
Well, thank you. Just like bad breath in the morning. I'm back, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, before we get into some X's and O's, uh, I do need to ask you about Mojo, um, because yeah. you, were, you were one of my teachers <laughs> in this path yeah. mm-hmm. as things have gone along. And I have to say that I believe that it's the responsibility of every person in southwestern Pennsylvania to the week prior to a Steeler playoff game, you wear Steeler gear every day. Right. I just yeah, no doubt about it. I feel like that's something it's kind of one of those things that you just absorb as a child and you just as an adult do the right thing. John Hall I'm sitting here with a corduroy shirt on. Listen, Craig, he doesn't oh. own any Steeler gear and not only that, kinda looks down at me for wearing my Steeler jerseys every day. Can we can you can you speak into that a little? Call me out. Yeah. I, I just I'm gonna stop by and I'm gonna have to spike John into the ground. Thank That's what I'm gonna have to do. I mean Ouch. <laughs> it just, we need to get you a jersey, baby. You I mean, need a hoodie. You need something. Steelers oriented, my friend. Craig, I mean it's one of those things. Train up a child in the way he should go. It just wasn't part of our lineage. I don't understand that. I mean what it's like he didn't grow up in Cleveland. No. I mean, I just don't. Anyway. I grew up in Swissville, for goodness All right. sake. All what right. the heck? Okay. Oh, All right. So let's get to things about the game. Um, we can't not talk about Mason Rudolph. No. Because it's like right. a different offensive team since he uh, took over the quarterback position. Uh, talk about Mason. Talk about what you've seen. What you see is a young man who has weathered the storms of life, the adversity that he's suffered over the number of years. I think this is six, seven years he's been around. This young man is really um, a testament to in, internal fortitude and strength. Mm. Uh, a young a young guy, you know, he loves Jesus, and he's one of these guys that leads from the front. Um, you know, I, what I love about him and what I, I remember most is when they did his, uh, his uh, psychological exam in the run-up to drafting and everything, his ability, his mental toughness was off the charts, they say. Yeah. And he's proven that. I mean, you watch and see what he's done the last three weeks to be called upon in the most tough time of the year when things are just kind of, you know, and he comes through and does a great job for three weeks. Look, it's all about the here and now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. The fact of the matter is Mason's doing a great job and playing with uh, the abilities that his God-given abilities. He's like I said, doing a doing. He's staying within himself without, you know, taking the gambling into what I'm saying is he, he's a calculated risk taker versus yeah. a gambler, yeah. you know, and that's what I think separates him from a lot of other guys. I love it. And, and you know, you, you, you look at the game and of course, a lot of guys, they're always pointing their finger up to the sky and whatnot, but it's, it's great to know that Mason walking the walk, talking the talk. He is a true believer and when and things it, are tough. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, you know, there he is talking about the Lord uh, post game and, and gratitude and all that. I mean, he's the real deal. It, it gives you great confidence, you know, knowing that a guy is really following his faith and is not afraid or ashamed to say so. No, and that's, what again, what you love about Mason. He is who he is. He knows where he's been down on a little bit of a rough road, facing adversity, but you know what? By the grace of God, he hasn't blinked. He's come true, done what he needed to do. I love the guy. You know, you just love the guy like that. So prior to him coming in, it seemed like, the wheels were falling off in all sorts of different directions. You know, you had wide receivers who didn't want to play or, you know, mad if they weren't playing enough. You had uh, offensive line kind of looked like, you know, th- things were disconnected. Uh, Mason comes in. Is that is that more leadership? Is it more organization? I mean, it's like a different team. 
Well, the, the difference is that you've got locker room elders, as we call them. Those are the veterans that have been able to pull this team together. That's where it's at. You know, the thing is you get everybody on board. You make sure they're pulling oars in the same direction. And suddenly you've got something going good. You know, Chuck Noll used to tell us that, you know, if, if we can just create a spark and everybody ups their their productivity by 1%, you have an accumulation of then with the 45-man roster, 45%. You know, and he was big on that. That's the synergy of everybody doing their 111th of the job whenever you're out there. Just get that 111th done to the best of your abilities. Concentrate on that and don't worry about anything else. And when you start getting that, you start to create this synergy that creates a snowball effect. And what we're seeing is that week by week, it's upped with Mason, and he's done a great job. The fact of the matter is he's, he is right now where he's at. What's going to happen in the offseason? Nobody knows. Who cares? Leave it alone. Next year, that's hey, Kenny Pickett's got a future. Let me tell you, Kenny's a ball player. He's going to be fine. But right now is the here and now. You've got Mason. You ride this right now. Fabulous. Okay, so here we are, Wolf. And, uh, of course, the Steelers, nine and a half or ten-point underdogs. Uh, It's an okay place to be. Uh, All the pundits are talking about, you know, a lot of different things right now. I feel the great Steeler mojo. I know Kath does as well. I think the Steelers are going to pull this out. I really do. Uh, What's what's the take on your end? I mean, I I hate to put you on the spot to to make a prediction, but what do you got? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict uh, pain. That's what I'm predicting. <laughs> right? You got pain coming up, baby. You know, here's the thing about it. The late great Tunchilk and my brother, your brother. You know, you, you knew Tunch and, oh, and what he was. He always said the Steelers play their best when their backs up against the wall. You know, when they're being dissed, when they're being disrespected, when nobody gives a hoot about them, they, you know, that's when they they just come out fighting and swinging. And that's what you, you love about this team. They got a bunch of guys that hold together and they pull together. And I just think they're going to go into Buffalo. It's going to be a hard-fought game. They've got to make sure that, you know, you protect the ball. Ball security is going to be huge. And you've got to make sure you maintain your discipline on defense and everything else. But the fact of the matter is I do believe the Steelers are going to pull this one out. I'm just I'm riding the mojo wave. All okay, right? I like it. it I like it. Now, I, last question for you. I don't think we can uh, not discuss the weather, which is going to be awful. Uh, I heard this morning maybe 40 mile an hour wind gusts uh, in Orchard Park. I, I mean, it, should we be concerned? Oh, have some difficulty with it probably the 50 50 balls to go routes they're going to be handicapped yeah. you've got the kickoffs the punts when i was up there in the late 80s when i was back in my playing days we were playing the buff bills up there and uh we, we were facing the wind and, and so forth just like this because the stadium is built into the ground so when the wind comes off the lake really comes off the lake not the river like bubby brister talked about right? it comes off the lake and it, it, it'll come up and it'll dive over the top of the stadium because it's down in the ground and so you have this tremendous wind that can be in your face well we were punting the ball, and Harry Newsom kicked the thing, and the thing hit the line of scrimmage and went straight up in the air like a rocket. Oh, my God. So we're screaming at the gunners to turn around because they're 40 yards down the field. The ball hit three yards in front of the line of scrimmage, right? That's oh 37 yards gosh. back. Yeah. So, you know, it was rather hilarious, <laughs> except for the fact that it, it worked against us, unfortunately. Yeah, so not hilarious. Fabulous. Okay, yeah. so, it, so the weather is, I mean, everybody's playing in the same weather. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, look, this is this is great. I, I loved it. You know, I mean, that's just what it was. I was from there. I'm used to that bad weather. There's some guys that, you know, they'd rather play in 95-degree weather. Not me. You know, I'm, all my peoples are from the Northeast. You know, we've got uh, 20 weight oil and for blood, you know, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, so I prefer the cold and everything else when you're a fat guy. You just love that. You can run all day and not get tired. Okay, and plus the Steelers run game looks good, too. It's great. Right? Fabulous. Yep. No doubt about it. Between Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, they've got a one-two punch Boom. that has just been spectacular. You know, you've got uh, uh, Najee just being the iron horse that he is. I mean, taking that rock. He sure is. Last week, what, he had 112 yards, just banging away. And then all of a sudden, you come in with a little zip through Don. Jalen dials it up, Ooh. and that guy is a physical speedster, and you love the one-two punch that they have become. Outstanding. Wolf, brother, to God be all the glory. Thanks Amen. so much for being with us. Uh, go Steelers. Go Let's get that Steelers. win. Come on. Amen. All right. Let's go, baby. There you okay. go. Love you, Wolf. Love you, too. Talk to man. you. Craig Wolfley, he's a Steeler great, a Steeler broadcaster. Turn down your TV set. Turn up Bill Hillgrove and Craig Wolfley. That's fabulous. We're so happy to have our next guest with us mm-hmm. because he has gotten up early for this conversation. Constantine Campbell is with us live from Australia. He's professor and associate research director at the Sydney College of Divinity. Also a New Testament scholar, a jazz musician, which we'll talk about before the end of this segment, and the author of several books. Constantine, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And as Kath said, thanks for getting up early. I mean, I know it's, it's super early. I hope you had some coffee here before you joined us. So, uh, yeah, it's not that early. I'm used to it. Oh, good. Okay. Hey, Constantine, we love the work. Uh, Jesus yeah. versus evangelicals. Oh. I mean, it's it's really excellent. And in it, in it, you essentially say that you know, evangelicalism is a it's a wayward movement, uh, a movement that has lost its moorings, a pseudo Christianity in some way. So, talk about that mm. from your perspective. What is it that leads you to think that we have become this? Well, it sounds controversial. Uh, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I basically argue in the book that the way of Jesus and the way of interacting with the world that Jesus models and the teachings of Jesus ought to be at the heart of evangelical faith, but also evangelical practice. And And I think there's a bit of a distinction there sometimes because we often say well this is what evangelicals believe this is what we believe this is what we hold dear uh, but then the way we act and the way we might interact you know in the public square uh, or the way we interact with our neighbors and so on might reflect something different yeah. and that's often why uh, people who are not Christians sometimes accuse us of being hypocrites uh, look we like Jesus but we don't like you uh, you know, yeah, and what, yeah. what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong there? You know, there's the disconnect between what we say we believe and the way we behave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You write that American evangelicalism, in particular has several problems, um, and you lay them out. The first being that we've become politicized to the extent that its spiritual nature has been distorted. Oh, Amen. Talk about what that means. Yeah, um, there's 
you know, really since the European settlement of uh, North America, there's been a sense that, you know, America is, is kind of God's country and there's, and Christians have, have, there's always been a, a strand of Christianity, if not the majority in America where, um, there's a sense that we we have to preserve this country to be God's you know sort of holy place, and uh, even promises made to Israel in the Bible were applied to the United States and so on. Uh, and so this, this is kind is of really, the second promised land. Yeah, in a way, absolutely, and and I can understand where it comes from because you know the Puritans were escaping religious persecution, and and this and America represented a. a, a you know, God's grace and opportunity to worship him freely, you know, without persecution. And so it really comes from this profound thankfulness, I think, um, and that, that God has really intervened to make this happen. But what's happened in the interim is um, rather than giving everyone that freedom uh, to worship as they see fit or not worship as it may be, there's a sense of, no, 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 this is a Christian country. We've got a, we've got a fight to retain this Christian origin, uh, and and we'll we'll use any means to do it. We'll fight dirty in politics. We'll you know al- align ourselves to leaders who are maybe morally bankrupt and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, because what's most important is you know that this is a Christian nation, uh, and that really, in my view, has led to a number of distortions of the Christian faith, and has misrepresented the cause of Christ in the public square. Yes, and, and of course. America isn't mentioned in Scripture, but the only other country that <laughs> is, right. Israel's mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's a specific uh, time and place in the purposes of God. You know, the Bible presents Israel as, um, you know, the recipient of his blessing, and they enter into a covenant through Moses. But it also teaches that yeah, there's a new covenant through Jesus for people of all nations. And so um, even though Israel retains a special place in the purposes of God, it's unique. It's, it's not, it's not for any other country to jump in and claim those, those promises that are unique for Israel. Mm-hmm. So talk about the distance from which you see this. Um, you're all the way mm. on the other side of the globe. Uh, we are enmeshed. Yeah. <laughs> Deeply <laughs> embedded. Yeah, data embedded is a good word. Uh, so um, what does that distance afford you? Yeah, um, great question, Kathy. Um, well, I, I did live in the Chicago area for uh, about five and a half years, um, teaching in an, at, um, at a seminary there. Uh, and so I, I have sort of seen things up close, mm-hmm. and I've been a frequent visitor for maybe 20 years, visiting almost every year. Um, but I think um, being distant and, and coming from different culture, it does help to see what, for those within it, might be blind spots. And I, I sort of make the case in the book that we, we all have our blind spots, right? You know, so this isn't this isn't sort of throwing stones or, or anything like that. You know, here in Australia, we have our blind spots too. But by definition, I, I need someone else to show me what they are. Uh, and you can't see them when you're in the middle of it often. And um, so I think a little bit of uh, geographical distance, but also cultural difference, uh, distance, I should say, cultural distance helps to say, um, you know, to my friends, my brothers and sisters in the US, hey, you know, um, I think 
you know, maybe you should rethink this, you know, or, or maybe maybe something has gone wrong in the way that you're expressing your faith in Jesus uh, or, or the way you want to engage the world around you. Um, maybe, you know, take a look at the way other cultures uh, express Christianity. Uh, not that anyone is perfect sure. in doing this, you know, we, you know, but there are lessons we can learn from each other. Just as there are lessons that we can learn from um, African Christians, we can learn from European Christians, we can learn from Asian Christians, uh, and and those and the way they're doing things might expose our own problems. Interesting. We're talking with Constantine Campbell. His new work is called "Jesus Versus Evangelicals: A Biblical Critique of a Wayward Movement." Uh, let's talk about something you know very specific, Constantine. I mean, you know, um, sure. We've just gone. We're, we're we're still deeply involved in um, the the Trump um, movement. Of course, um, mm. here we are on the precipice. So we just had a, a Republican debate last night. Now, of course, um, yeah. say what you will about uh, former President Trump, and there's uh, there's mountains to say about that. But you know, one of the things yeah. that he promised, and one of the things he delivered it on, was the repeal of Roe v. Wade because he appointed mm. three conservative Supreme Court justices. I I'd say that's a yeah. good thing. But I also think mm. it's very messy and comes with a very, very steep cost. Um, it it yeah. meshes together evangelicalism and the culture wars. Can you talk about that? Uh, absolutely. I think you articulated that very well. Um, I'm Look, I am 100% opposed to abortion. You know, I think it's a terrible, uh, terrible thing. And... Um, in, in some ways, I'm really glad that Roe v. Wade has been repealed. But as you say, it came at a huge cost. And also, I think it needs to be said that um, um, making uh, abortion illegal, as it's become now in several states, actually statistically shows it, it doesn't slow it down. It just makes it more dangerous. And um, this is um, what I think the heart of the problem is, is, is trying to... Um, control people's moral choices through political power. Mm. And the reality is that that does not work because political power and laws do not change people's hearts. Uh, and at the end of the day, what, what Christians want to see, I suppose, is you, you want to see people, you, you want to see people with their hearts changed, um, which can only really happen through, um, through the Holy Spirit, you know, and through persuasion um, and through, you know, sharing with people, you know, God's love for them um, in Christ and and who he really is and how we can respond to that love. And that's what changes us so that so that people will want to live mm -hmm. uh, in a different way. Um, and so, yes, of course, there's a place for laws to to restrict evil like you know it's good that we have laws against murder for example right uh but you know what it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't remove the murderous intention yeah. um it doesn't change people's hearts uh and people will still try to do that if they think it can get away with it you know uh so i guess that's really my my problem with the way that evangelicals have engaged that issue is this sort of false belief that legislative power or legislative change will make people behave more morally, uh, whereas, you know, the, the kind of morality that the Bible says God wants is an inner reality that comes genuinely from the heart, um, not this sort of fake, I'm going through the motions. 
opera has never been my favorite of the concerts to go to. Have you got much? Not much. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's it's a lot. I work the opera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they hired me for um, children or for school performances where they would take the opera and condense it down. And so I would come on at the opening of the opera, set the stage, so to speak, and then they would take out, you know, scenes, and then I would say, and so this happened, yada, yada, mm, this happened, okay. yada, yada, which is always fun. So to be on stage and watch the, I mean, it's a grand spectacle, isn't it? It is such a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And the mechanics of a voice that can do that oh are gosh. so, I, I mean. It's, it's humbling. I've been singing my whole life. I cannot even imagine that. I agree. It's just epic. And I feel like I'm probably the one missing out that I don't get it. Especially now. Now, look, I'm preaching here. Uh, I've been to operas, but I don't make it a regular point of, you know, my cultural enrichment. But now they have subtitles. Right. So you don't get lost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just not it's not my thing. It's not it's not my favorite style of music. It's not my favorite style of singing. So as much as I respect it, I don't love it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it was part of an article in today's PG by Jeremy Reynolds, but not really about the opera itself. Mm-hmm. But the question that he poses is this. Does dressing up for a night at the opera improve the experience? Undoubtedly. Yes. Okay. Now, I'll say this as a performer. When you're on stage and you're looking out at the audience and you see people who are dressed, it makes you feel better. Does it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people took the effort huh. to do something extra special to come see the show. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I would imagine now when I go see a show, I'm not getting I'm not wearing a suit and tie, but, you, you know, you're not wearing a T-shirt either. It's how I feel. Okay, what he says is that he's comparing seeing an opera in Pittsburgh to seeing an opera at the Royal Opera House in London. Oh, my God. Wait, this Can is you... what he says. He says, in London at the Royal Opera House, there's a pervasive air of glitz and glamour. I bet. Light flashing from satin tuxedo mm. lapels, diamond earrings, glass, mirrors everywhere. This is very much a peacockish space to see and be seen and be seen seeing. How fun. Okay. That'd be a blast. Now, he said there's a lot of flash in Pittsburgh at the Benetton Center because it's the building is so beautiful, yes. right? But it's cozier. It's more laid back. With staff in the lobby to greet attendees, some are in finery, and many are wearing jeans and T-shirts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So It's America. Yeah, so he's talking about how opera companies have been working, <coughs> pardon me, for decades to kind of get rid of the idea that opera's for elite people. Right. Operas for the masses so that they can increase their chances of people actually actually coming. Right. Right. That would contribute to their survival. Um, And they want to take away the pretentious traditions Mm -hmm. and kind of toss them out for better or worse, for better or worse. But the worse is kind of what he's talking about, because you can get to see the opera for less than 20 bucks a ticket. Mm -hmm. So it's not for the elite anymore. No. Right. It's for anybody. Um, It's just it's not expensive. Um, Opera performed well, though, is still a sophisticated night. Very much. You have to know something. You have to have an attention span and you have to be patient. Yes. Right. Um, And so that requires a certain type of investment. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not willing to invest in your clothes for the event, it's hard for me to believe that you would 
be the kind of person that would be invested in that. What do you think? I'm not. I don't think I necessarily agree with that. Okay. No. I mean, we live, especially again, post-pandemic, in a very relaxed society. Things have changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, no, I don't think you're going to you're going to contribute less to the environment by not being dressed up and in the enjoyment of it by not being dressed up. But I do think that there is something. What? Extra special, yeah. About making the effort to okay to get this is, dressed this is for the what he, This is this is where he lands at the end of the article. But engaging in the decorum of the evening, mm-hmm. being a part of it, can dramatically enhance your impression of the performance. Yeah, so I buy it, that. so the effort that you put into it is going to affect how much the grandeur of what you get out of it. Because in your mind, you've made it special by making the extra special mm-hmm. effort, right? So it all pays off down the line. That's very cool. It's time now for John and Kathy's Week in Review. What was everyone talking about this week? <laughs> well, <laughs> well. It's a, was that the, the Yinzer approach to the, the Week in Review? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, okay, okay. The new Yinzer edition, yeah. I guess. All right. So <laughs> what was everybody talking just about? just wasn't expecting that. No. Uh, I would say that everybody was talking about the uh, Trump uh, civil fraud uh, case. Um. Or uh, Trump leading in the polls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think people were talking about um, the healthy rebels in the Red Sea. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, that's just that's a very, I mean, it, it's on the other side of the globe. But it's a weird, considering everything we story. buy yeah. is, you know, comes from another country and probably goes through the Suez Canal. Yep. I think a lot of people are talking about that. Plus Steelers in the playoffs. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was a conversation that made you think? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can take this seriously. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, Dr. Charles Camosi, uh, Tuesday at Boy, that was really interesting. We talked about um, artificial wombs. Mm-hmm. Good gravy. And what that will look like, because it's coming, if not already here. Right. So, And it started for a good purpose. They're, they're trying to come up with a way Premies. to... To help preemies um, be able to gestate longer uh, on the outside. And, of course, now it's being lauded as some kind of thing where, you know, anybody can have a baby. Anybody. Baby in a Petri dish that makes its transition over to the baby. In In the the bag. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, So that was excellent conversation. Um, The one I picked, though, was yesterday with Curtis Chang on a Christian approach to politics. Oh, yeah. He was so... Interesting to me, mm-hmm. Just his his approach of being able to diagnose the problem yeah. that we all as Christians have with politics was so insightful. Spot on, man! It was so good. So if you missed uh, hearing Charlie Camosi earlier in the week or Curtis yesterday or anything else, just find our podcast wherever you get They're them. Everywhere. What were Yin's reading? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he was reading anything. I wonder. Uh, I, I, I'm continuing and continuing to enjoy the uh, rule of St. Benedict. Uh, this is Joan Chittister. Okay. Um, what help, if any, can something that's written so long ago, 1,500 years ago, be a guide as today? Um, it's very good for me to, to go back mm. into this. And I think about all those saints who have been on the same journey before me. That's also an encouragement. Mm. The rule of St. Benedict. Okay. 
Well, I'm still reading Paris by Edward Rutherford because it's almost 900 pages long, so I'm going to be in it for a while. Um, I took a couple hours. I'm not sure if I talked about this last week or not, but I took a couple hours. I've been listening to it on audio and actually went through the book because I can't figure out what French name. I I can't figure out what names, what people's names are. You know what I mean? It's driving Um, crazy. But boy, it's really interesting. I like it a lot. Paris. What did Gen's eating at? My wife made fantastic chicken parm. And when I say fantastic, this was off the charts. I mean, mm. ugh. My kid, my kids, anyway, we had chicken parm. We loved it. I haven't had chicken parm ugh, in a hundred years. So good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. How about a chicken parm sandwich? I mm. love a chicken parm sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's been so cold. I made soup twice Did this week. What? Two different soups. There is nothing like soup when you're freezing. Yeah. Isn't it delicious? Yeah, it sure is. Isn't it perfect? What kind of, don't tell me you're making carrot soup. No. You know what? i got to be honest. I don't really like carrot soup yeah, good. as much as I like a carrot. No, I made Mexican chicken. Oh. And I made sweet potato. Very nice. Very delicious. What did Jen's guys watch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching um, Beef. On Netflix. It won a Golden Globe, actually, mm-hmm. in the midst of it. That's it's, the Road Rage story? Yes, it is. Okay. Ten episodes. It's Road Rage, which sort of kicks off the thing. It's billed as a comedy drama, which I guess so. More so on the drama, but the comedy's interesting as well. Um, uh, Koreans in L.A., mm-hmm. basically, is what it is. Um, Orange County and whatnot. There's a class distinction between the two. Is it a two. comedy? Yeah, there's some comic, comedic elements, I'd say, to it. Okay. But it's not like, you know, LOL. Right. But, yeah, it's very interesting. And I love the idea of a short series. Ten episodes, mm. I can do. Got it. So it's like a mini series yep. as opposed to a show. Okay. Um, I really love Shetland, which is this uh, show about set in the Shetland Islands, which is in the very northern part of Scotland. It is a, it's a mystery based on a book series. It's produced by uh, Masterpiece Theater. BritBox uh, is where I watch it, which is a sub-channel on Amazon. And it is, I mean, it's a dark show as far as its subject matter. It is, I can't think of a show that's more, other than All Creatures Great and Small, that's so gorgeously filmed. The setting is just spectacular. Absolutely terrific. I love, check out Shetland. Oh, that's cool. What's one thing you change... If you could. (laughs) Um, Well, I've been thinking about this. You know, during the break, I really wanted to stay up later. Yeah. But I couldn't. Oh, interesting. So you would like to change that? I wish You mean during the break, like over Christmas? Yeah. Huh. I was like, oh, I've got all this. I've got some time. I'm on vacation. It'd be 10 o'clock and I'd be like, I have to go to bed. And I was like, no, I want to stay up till one o'clock. No, I can't. I have to go to bed. So if I could, I would, but I can't. Okay. Even if I drink coffee or have a soda or something like that, the caffeine doesn't do it has any effect on me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what you okay. Yep. If I could change one thing, yeah. I'd change who was running for president. Mm, okay. It's yeah. so depressing. Yeah. It's so depressing. Yep. Here we are again. It's Groundhog Day all over again. What was the best news you heard this week? I'm talking all week long. <laughs> oh, Steelers in the play. I'm just jumping ahead of you, John, because Steelers in the playoffs. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, I, I, I think about this, though. I mean, 
I think all of us are surrounded by chaos all the time, right? It, it feels as though things have ramped mm-hmm. up tremendously. But I mean, I, I've, if I've heard this once in the past week or two, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. That's the best news. What have Yin's guys been listening to? Okay. Um, I'm never going to speak before you again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this goes back to me from a long way away. But, you know, so. You're going I, back to like the oldest, greatest hits I am. lately. And so. I, <laughs> I find a song that kind of resonates with me, and then, you know, when I'm driving or whatnot, I'll play this song again and again and again and again. I'm sure I listen to this song 15 times this week. This is um, 1992. It's Peter Gabriel from the album Us, along with Sinead O'Connor. I caught sight of my reflection I caught it in the window I saw the darkness in my heart I saw the signs of my undoing They had been there from the start And the darkness still has work to do Knotted cords untying The heated and the holy Oh, they're sitting there on high So secure with everything they're buying In the blood of heat Lie the woman and the man The man and the woman And the woman and the man yeah, I've never heard that. Haven't you? Mm. <laughs> I love that song mm. so much. Uh, the album is Us, 1992. Yeah, Ch- check it out. I think you'd like it. Okay, I was listening to this. Everybody listen, just in case you didn't know. Here is the main ingredient, it really changed my life. A life full of iniquity and very place stained. But I found my hope at Calvary, going from my Savior's vein. You ask me if I think it'll work, I tell you I don't think, cause I know, I know. Fred Hammond. Fred Hammond. The inimitable Fred Fabulous, Hammond. It? it just doesn't. It's just. Holy smokes. It just doesn't get better than Fred. Well, you saw him in concert, man. I sure did. Yeah. Did he do this? Got to meet him. Yeah, he did this. Crank it up. That's good. What's strong enough to reach the better low? Tell me what brings our salvation and defeats our foes. 
It's a Friday afternoon, and of course, it's a Steeler playoff. But, you know, we do know there are some people, probably many people, who are not interested in football. I can't believe that. And so there are things to do in and around this weekend. Okay. How about um, the National Aviary? The National Aviary is a new coastal getaway. Uh, Mariana fruit doves, crested wood partridges, even Malayan flying foxes are among the airborne tropical species visitors can learn about in this seasonal attraction, which includes interactive play spaces and talks by in-house birding experts. Coastal Getaway opens this weekend and uh, is included with general mission at the aviary, runs through May. Black musical pioneers from Homestead are honored in a pre-Martin Luther King Day program at Park Place AME Church. Music and Memories honors the work of National Negro Opera Company founder Mary Cardwell Dawson, Park Place Choir founder Catherine Caldwell Gardner, and composer and arranger Jester Harrison. Local singers and instruments perform 10 o'clock Sunday program, followed by brunch organized by Park Place Ministries and the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Mm, that sounds interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. On Monday, January the 15th, the Kelly Strayhorn Theater hosts two separate pro- programs celebrating MLK Day at noon. The Landmark Theater's annual MLK community event includes family-friendly activities and performances by the likes of the Hill Dance Academy Theater and vocalist Jacques May. That evening, Monday, it's the 17th annual Let Freedom Sing concert featuring Pittsburgh's Heritage Gospel Choral and the MLK Festival Choir. Uh, that is a uh, pay-what-moves-you event. Okay. Uh, Nationally known magician and comedian Derek Hughes returns to Liberty Magic. Hughes has performed on Comedy Central and Penn and Teller Fool Us. And even in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, he brings his bag of tricks downtown for the run uh, Wednesday through uh, February the 4th. Uh, That's just a small sampling. To be honest, I think people anticipated the Steelers uh, playing. So there's not a whole heck of a lot. Okay, so let me say this. Yeah. My Saturday and Sunday are reserved for football this weekend. It's a great weekend. It's it's the greatest weekend. The, you know, there are three games on Sunday. I do. Or three games on Saturday. Maybe it's, I think it's three, two, and one. Three games on Saturday, two, two on, on Sunday, Saturday, and, and one, one on, on Monday. Monday night. Or maybe it's the reverse. I've, I've switched up Saturday and Sunday. Which, it's going to be great. I love it. I'm going to watch every one. I think I probably I'm not going to get sick of it. I'm going to love it. It's going to be complete immersion. This is the best football weekend of the year. How's your husband with it? Great. Good. He's totally in. Excellent. Totally in. Now, my only concern is that the game starts, the Steeler game, starts Sunday at 1. Yes. I have to work Sunday morning. Right. And so I... I'm not. I have to do my snack game ahead of time. Sure, ready to go. But that don't that, delay it. See, I want to talk to you. I want to. If you then I get a text. If, you go, if, hey, and you what, go. Don't tell me. D- what if don't I? Tell me what if going. I have to delay it to later? What if I? I know I'm going to disappoint you so much. Well, you're gonna, whatever. You're I mean, so, but the, the the whole mojo is to be in the mood with everybody else. I know. I right? know. Let's go. I know. Are you having your full snack load at 1 p.m.? No, no, I'm going to, you know, roll it out slowly. Oh, okay. Right? No, I'm going to, you know, the, the full flourish doesn't come till halftime. But you've got to, like, sort of set the table. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. Maybe I'll come home and have a little breakfast. 
Oh. Like some. You do like the eggs and bacon or something? Exactly. Yeah. Some scrambled eggs and some bacon. Really? And so then at halftime, you're going to eat your meal? I'm going to, no, I'm going to eat my meal. Oh, Oh, you're going to, oh, you're, you're going to be snacking. Yeah. Uh Oh, there's going to be like nosh at halftime. Yes. And. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. I think that makes sense. We always do pizza on Sunday, though. Mm. That's fine. But bacon and eggs, that'll kick off the Steeler game, won't you? You know what's nice? Mm. A breakfast pizza. Have you ever had a breakfast pizza? Uh, it's a pizza with scrambled eggs on it. What? Bacon, green onion. I'd eat that. It's really, yeah, yeah, that it's a good. really, really good option. I've never made one, but I've had one in a restaurant. Hmm. Could you make one like on Sunday? I think that's a lot of pressure, having to figure out how to make something new when the game is like going to start in <laughs> right, 15 right, minutes. Right. Because I'm not going to get home the, until right, 12.45. The, the thing about bacon and eggs, boom, there it is. It's, you can make bacon, you can make it bacon ahead of time, and then scrambled eggs takes literally five minutes. Right. And then you pop some toast in, sit down, you're good to go. It's a pretty good idea. Go Steelers. Let's get that win. Get that win. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.